breaking news out of Orlando, the terror attack on a gay nightclub. Right now, at least 20 are dead, maybe more. The shooter also dead. Temperatures have caused drought and hunger, prompting migration and contributing to instability. Kincaid Fire remains the most stubborn challenge that we face. Barely a month after the Lion Air 737 MAX crashed in Indonesia, killing 189 people, an internal FAA memo warned the MAX would crash again. Welcome to the Good Guy Revolution podcast. This show is recorded in the Valley of the Sun every week at Shaneland Art. Located at 301 East Camelback Road, Phoenix, Arizona. I'm the diva, reminding you that you can change the world by just being kind to one another. Now please, enjoy the show. So I've been a Buddhist, specifically Zen Buddhist, for about the last 15 years. But 30 years of my life has been a Buddhist practice. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I do is always self-reflection and thinking. And I call it charge. So if something makes me angry or charges me... I'm always like, okay, what's happening inside you? It's not about them. It's about you. Hello. Welcome to the Good Guy Revolution podcast. My name is Gene Moore, and I'm excited about our show. We have Dan Hall, who's going to talk to us about storytelling and how he maintains that zen-like quality as he navigates through this life. We also have Josh Graves, and we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us. The Good Guy Revolution podcast starts now. Josh Graves, can you hear me? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, this is Gene Moore, are you calling me because no, no other Gene Moores would call you back? <laughs> <laughs> That's a 100% correct. I keep emailing and messaging, and I think next week I'm on a cold call at Gene Moore. No one's calling me back, and it's important that I talk to another Gene Moore. Yeah, sometimes you gotta, you know, in, in the search of Gene Moore, you gotta make it an outbound search. You know what I'm saying? You got a cold call. It gets chilly out here, but you know what I'm saying? Them cold calls, once you get one, it feels good. You know what I'm saying, Gene Moore? You've been in sales. I do, I do, because I gotta know, because I just can't take it anymore. I feel like the whole world is walking around like zombies, just accepting that the world is me. And I'm like, no, we can fix it. We can just have manners. We can be nice. And I don't know if I'm the Gene Moore to fix it, but I wanna talk to another G more because maybe they're the person to fix it and I'm just you know I'm just like the one that comes before him to you know spoot along move it along <laughs> well real recognize real I understand how it is G more don't worry now back now right now they may not want you but once you're super hot they're gonna all the they're gonna be all calling trying to get you know all the G mores are gonna be calling just wait you just gotta wait I tell you, listen, I was at the doctor's. Let me tell you how bad it is because I'm really losing my mind. I'm trying to keep it together. I'm just trying to stay kind. But, you know, like on Friday, I go to the doctor's, Josh. I go in and there's two people in the waiting room, Josh, two people. And the first guy goes up to the receptionist, fills his paperwork, and says his name like five times. Hi, I'm Kevin Reed. I'm from UMA. I'm Kevin Reed. My doctor doesn't refer me here. Like he said his name. So many times, right? He sits down. I turn in my paperwork. And you know what that receptionist says? Like, I don't even exist. You know what she says? Wow. She, she, she looks around the room 
and it's a small room. And she's like, Gene Moore, Gene Moore, Gene Moore. Like, she's looking for, and then, as you know, I'm looking desperately for a Gene Moore. Maybe I heard his name wrong. So I say to him, <laughs> I say to him, sir, is your name Gene Moore? And he's like, no, I'm Kevin Reed. I'm from Yuma. And I'm like, that's right. That's right. Stop right there. So then I had to go to that receptionist and I said, and I'm not a mean person, Josh, but I'm like, ma'am, there are two people in this room. What's wrong with you that you are calling out my name like we're at the DMV, you know? And then she just looked at me funny. And then I'm like, damn. Like, she looked at me like she was on the spectrum, like she had autism or something, you know? I don't know. So now I feel bad. Now I'm the jerk. And now Kevin Reed is telling everyone in Yuma that I'm a unkind person. I can't take it, Josh. I can't take oh it. Oh, my Lord. I mean, she could at least give you some eye contact or something. You know, like a smile maybe or something. Yeah, I mean, but why, why scan the room loudly like that? Like, get my hopes mm-hmm. up that there's another team more in the room, but there's only two people. That's insane. Have you had any bad interactions this week with people or... Well, Gene Moore did go into a Leslie's pole supply because I was thinking about getting a nice hot tub. And this, le- I swear, this the salesman he he kept he acted like I wasn't serious. You know, Gene Moore he's just been thinking about sprucing things up. I deserve a nice spa. You know, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about just getting my own place. I want a little nice hot tub. So I go in there. I just want to hear some prices. I want to hear some different options. And I tell you what, once again, just like with you, I just didn't get the proper customer service. He would make eye contact with me. He kept asking if, you know, if I knew how to swim. Gene Moore knows how to swim, all right? I know how to, I can flow in a hot tub. I, that's why I said, I said, why do you need to know if I can swim? It's a hot tub. I'm just going to sit in it and drink some wine. But we just kind of, you know, he was a little passive aggressive, but, you know, Gene Moore, he just, he shook it off. And I said, listen, I, it's whatever you get as many of those uh, bubble jets in there, so Gene Moore can sit on the jet and, you know, get those nice bubbles just feeling all good and whatnot. So I just, you know, I just want to be treated with respect in Leslie's pool supply. You know what I'm saying? Quote me a price and just, you know, give it to me straight, all right? My credit's not bad, okay? I can put some, I can put a down payment down, all right? I'll it's, like a payment. it's like we don't even exist. So don't, oh, they yeah, step I, on us. They step on us sometimes. Because the world went wrong. And I don't know if it's when we went to Casual Fridays that world got crazy. Here's my theory. I think that – do you remember when McDonald's used to offer the, um, the DLT? Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Yeah, so and then, you know, that was working out. And then they took that away, and then all hell broke loose, and everybody got crazy. Like, I think that's – the only thing I can do, Josh – is what I can do is wear corduroys because I can't be in a bad mood in corduroys. And now I got to tell the whole world they got to wear corduroys just so we can make that noise in unison and, you know, get a smile, you know. G-Moore does love a, love a good corduroy. <laughs> I miss those BLTs at McDonald's. I refer to those as the golden years. You know, that's when things were good, you know. That's when things were all fine. But yeah. I said, yeah, you're right. I noticed. I just found ever since they took that away, it just hasn't been the same. It has not been the same. But you know, I don't know. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep. The only thing that brought me joy this weekend, the only thing, is I'm sitting at a coffee shop, minding my own business as usual, and this lady looks over at me. Nice lady, real nice lady, like somebody's mom. And she looks over and she says. Uh, uh, how do you spell brass knuckles? And I said, what? What did you say? <laughs> she, shook. Yeah. she goes into her purse and pulls out a pair of brass knuckles, 
But Josh, or I mean, Jim Moore playing the role of Josh. I mean, Josh, it's so confusing, Josh. He pulls out these knuckles, and they were used. <laughs> he didn't know how to spell what? the tool she was coughing in with. Where was, where was this at? It was on 7th, uh, 7th Avenue in Osborne. It's not a bad part of town. You know, you're, you know. Wow. Very, I, mean, I like that. I do like an unsuspecting white lady with a weapon on her. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it's kind of fun. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they got like a My Little Pony mace or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, look at you. You're protecting yourself discreetly. I like that. Why, well, Gene Moore hasn't seen brass knuckles in a long time. That's, that's an old school. That's like a weapon from the 90s right there. Oh, I mean, old school. Had, well, then when she left, I'm like, because I had so many questions, like, you know, like, why, what? And so I Googled, and I didn't even know. Like, it's been years since I heard about brass. So there's a website for brass knuckles where you can get, like, vintage ones. Like, it's crazy. There's a whole industry that Gene Moore didn't know about. Isn't that crazy? I want some bedazzled ones with little diamonds on them and whatnot, you know? It'd be cute. That's why we're friends. That's why we're friends. Knock someone out and then just look at my sparkle, my hands sparkle, and just go about my day. You know what I'm saying? Well, he I more don't want to use violence. He don't want to use violence. But if I, you know, if I had to protect myself, I want it to be with something that's sparkly and shiny. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Thank you. I call. I would call it the Richard Simmons. That's no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say, you don't want me to pull out the Richard Simmons. You do not want that. Oh my God! Richard Simmons selling uh, brass knuckles is pretty hilarious, actually. <laughs> I I just want to say thank you for taking this call. I'm just gonna keep. If there's a Jim Moore out there listening, could you give them some advice so that they can call in and talk to me? I would say, you know what? Um, if there's if there's some advice. I could offer a gene more out there. It would be to, um, you know, ignore, uh, try to, uh, ignore the day to day drama and focus on the bigger picture. You know, I know there's little small things that get us down, but I know that all the Gene Moores out there, they have a bigger plan for their life. You know, maybe they're going back to school. Maybe they're going to, you know, maybe they started uh, meditation and whatnot. There's positives. You just got to, you got to block out the negative stuff and you really got to focus on the bigger picture. And you're like, what are you going for? You know, as long as you stay focused on the bigger picture and don't let the small things bog you down in life, one day you're going to get that hot tub. You know what I'm saying? I do. And you know what I'm going to call that philosophy? I'm going to call that the knuckle sandwich philosophy. That's what I'm going to call it right now. That's all it is. (laughs) (laughs) We're changing lives every day. One call at a time. One call at a time. Oh, who can, that's all I can do. I can't do more than that. You know, I don't understand. Guess what I'm drinking today? Today is I'm picking the president. So my tea that I have, it's peach mint. Nobody thought that was funny. That breaks me. <laughs> is, it, is it, wait, what, what kind of mint is it? Peach? Well, it's a peach tea. and then Oh, I like that. Peach mint. That is cute. That is a cute little play on words right there, G-Moy. That's hilarious. I can't believe no one laughed at that. Oh, yeah, that's not clever. You know what? I should have had them brass knuckles. Now I see the value in them knuckles. Mm-hmm. I could have knuckled up. Oh, you, could, you got brass knuckles. People are going to laugh at all your jokes if you have brass knuckles. <laughs> You're hilarious when you have brass knuckles, believe me. <laughs> Josh Grace, I love you, man. Thank you for calling me, and I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. All right, Gene. I'll talk to you later, G. Moore. Everybody, Josh Grace. Bye. Bye.
Hi, everyone. In this spot right here, which we're saving, it could be for you. This is where we're going to put advertisers or sponsors. So if you'd like to sponsor this show, please contact me and we'll put you right in here. And we together can change this world to make sure that it always stays kind. Sponsor me today. Where'd you see Cher? I went to the uh, stadium. It was, it was here. No, yeah, she was here in, like last week. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was... And you know what's so cool about it? This is what's so cool. There were uh, like uh, twelve lesbians uh-huh. that. <laughs> so I just love being gay so much. They <laughs> they dressed up as Sunny throughout the years. So one was like hippie Sunny. One had the fur coat, and then one was like uh, a congressman Sunny. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. So you just see all these Sunnies walking in the room, which is really cool and then i don't know but what Although i really considering like, he died tragically yeah. yeah considering he died tragically and they were divorced it might have been a little disturbing for share but <laughs> you know that name sunny is a curse because i have a pair of finches yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and one Sonny kept getting his head stuck in the in the. Aww. Yeah, and then one day Ouch. he was gone. He flew the coop. Like, this is like <laughs> he flew away. Wow. Kind of like real life. Maybe, maybe he hit a tree. Yeah, maybe. Well, you know what? This is what I call, whenever I go to a Mexican restaurant. I have uh-huh. this thing when they give you the chips and the salsa. Uh-huh. I ask for a little bowl of sour cream, and then I put a little bit of salsa in there, and I mix it up, and I call it the Sunny Bono, because that's how when they found him near the, in the snow. I'm sure that was all bloody. <laughs> Ooh, I don't say that in public. Wow. <laughs> okay, okay. Damn. Oh, the dark, the dark, the dark side of Gene. <laughs> thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Dan, thank you for for being on the show. Uh, oh, thank you welcome. so much. Thank I'm you. honored. Yeah, well, I'm I'm I am. What I need to slow down is because I'm super excited to have you here because I have a history with you and I know you from storytelling. But before mm. we get into all that, let me introduce the viewers, um, the listeners rather, uh, okay. of who you are and, and where you're. Let me ask, where are you from? The East Coast, I'm assuming, right? Because I get um, that vibe. You're from the East Coast. Am I wrong? Um, I guess I'm from the East Coast if you consider Michigan part of the coast. Oh, my God. I'm from Michigan. What part of Michigan are you from? <laughs> the Detroit area. Okay. All right. I mean, I was actually born, I did not know that. I was born in upstate New York, okay. but my family, let, like, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Like, I went back as a kid and my grandparents lived there, but I never lived there. I lived mostly. I grew up in the Detroit area. Okay. Um, Farmington? Okay, where I, where did you? I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. in Michigan, when you kind of get out of high school and you're going to school, then you're kind of thinking, where do you want to live? Because I never thought of venturing outside of Michigan. Right. But you can't live really in Grand Rapids. Like all the action and the money is in the Detroit area. So I moved to Southfield. Can, can I just, yeah. all the action and the money is in the Detroit area? <laughs> that is such a Michigan. <laughs> That's like if you're not from Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. moving the UP. I got to go to where the I got to be a UP action. Is, yeah. Where the action? Well, you know, okay, not, yeah. not Detroit proper, but like Southfield, yeah, yeah, Farmington, yeah. Beverly Hills. It's a beautiful West Bloomfield. It's a great place to be from. Yeah. Do you know? I have a story. My my oh my. All right. So when I was in school, I had two really good friends, uh-huh. Paul Conroy and Joe Basella. We're still friends. Sorry, Joe Basella okay. is my best friend, but Paul Conroy worked. Uh, at a bookstore in West Bloomfield. Okay. And Aretha Franklin used to live there in West yeah, Bloomfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they had a big sign and it said, if Aretha comes in here with a check, don't take it. <laughs> and so my friend Paul has no backbone because she was bouncing checks. Right. And so he, he had no backbone. <coughs> she came in and she wrote a check and uh-huh. he, he said, ma'am, I can't do it. And she's like, what you talking about? And she really let him have it and he took it and then he got, I think he got fired. Because he let Aretha <laughs> yeah. Franklin. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, she, I, 
my understanding she got a little problematic there with stuff like that sure, towards the sure. last she didn't want to be bothered so. with money yeah, she, yeah, who, who, yeah. Who, she's an artist why should she right yeah. right and at some point she is aretha franklin I like mean, I, I do kind of feel have like, a little respect right i will tell you i got it <laughs> have some respect i got <laughs> I it yeah that's great i uh Dan, I have this thing where I love funerals. I love to watch funerals. I can watch huh. them all the time. Okay. Um, the last good one was, uh, uh, and I watch them all the way through. Uh-huh. So like when Beth Chapman died from the dog and Bonnie Honer, uh-huh. that was a great funeral. I, I watch them all. I, <laughs> I just watch them all. So let's go back. So, uh, so you grew up in upstate New York and then. Well, I, w- I was born in Binghamton, New York. I w- it's weird. I was born in the same hospital that my mother and my grandmother were born in but they left that area like mm-hmm. when i was i don't know two three mm-hmm. so i'm basically just remember growing up in the midwest illinois yeah. outside of chicago and then mostly detroit i'm glad you say the midwest because this show is really dedicated to the people that are kind of on the verge like me of going into the stream of because i feel like the world is just getting so much faster and everyone's getting so much meaner and people are holding yeah. on but in the midwest don't you agree we're just raised a little bit differently we we are so uh, the east coast thing might be uh, uh helene as, as that's my wife mm-hmm. um is brooklyn born and raised mm-hmm. like total new yorker and so after almost 20 years of being with a new yorker i've been and i've lived in new york for periods on and off sometimes mm-hmm. i've learned to be able to switch that on a little uh. bit so most midwestern people can't but i can switch on a little bit of the new yorker now yeah um not much anyone from new york is like no that's a midwestern dude trying to (laughs) trying to to do it but yeah i would say wasp is is what i would say which doesn't fit for everybody but i guess what i mean by that is as midwestern people we tend to think even the even a midwestern extrovert thinks a little bit before they talk you know you know what i mean yeah i think you're right um and we tend to not always express our emotions directly so um and that could come across as nicer and polite conversation yeah yeah, because you hold a little bit back because i to me it's always what i would always remember is like how my dad raised me like how he was teaching me how to drive right so you know like when you're turning left make sure you put all of your car in the lane don't let the butt of the car hang into the lane because that's holding people up and that's rude right that's the essence of my growing up is don't be a burden to other people yeah yeah i don't think and i i see a lot of midwest people have that right but i don't see it in the rest of the country not to say that there's not really good people anywhere it's just it's it just seems like they go extra out of an extra thing to say don't bother people be self-reliant yeah yeah I, I would agree. It, I, I always say people from the Midwest, we're not saints. Like if the chips are down, Dan, we're going to make you a casserole. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, yes. But we're not saints. We're still going to talk about you, but behind your back. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I guess I would say that the, the, there's a lot of judgment, but mm-hmm. it's quiet judgment. Yeah. And, yes. And, and, it, and honestly, that <laughs> that's part of the reason I had to live the Midwest. That's why I live with a New Yorker, because yeah. after like many years of quiet judgment, I felt insane. Yeah. So at least I live with some one where like if they're mad they're mad if they're like i don't want to live with that that quiet judgment i'd prefer to be publicly judged <laughs> to get it all out. i just just get it out there if you don't like what i'm doing let me know because let me know you're right and yeah. i'm here let me ask how are you when i say that i feel like the world is getting meaner uh-huh uh 
how do you th- how do you feel about that? How are you navigating in today's world? How am I navigating in today's world? Um, Let me go to that premise. Do you, in my mind, uh I feel like the good guy, the nice guy, the compassionate guy. I don't think that there's a value on that anymore. I feel as though that that bridge is kind of closing and that the people that are really rewarded are like salespeople or people that are moving real fast and and they're not reading directions and everyone is trying to help make it easier for those people and yeah like like the aggressive asshole seems to be rewarded more yeah yeah i would agree um I, i i guess my question is if like for me okay we didn't so i've been a Buddhist, specifically Zen Buddhist for about last 15 years, but 30 years of my life has been a Buddhist practice. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I do is always self-reflection and thinking, and I call it charge. So if something makes me angry or charges me, I'm always like, okay, what's happening inside you? It's not about them. It's about you. Interesting. And so for me, if I get mad because I feel like someone's getting ahead because they're being an asshole, Mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like, okay. Why are you mad about this? Who cares? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of jerks out there. Why is this one charging you? And a lot of times, I'll admit, it's because I want to do what they do. I just don't have the guts or or I think it's rude or whatever, but I want what they're getting. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It does make sense. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but, but that's... When was the last time that you... Okay, so I appreciate that, where how when you have conflict with the world, you look within correct yeah i guess yeah that's a simple way of summing it up so when was the last time when you had conflict with the world where you didn't look in and you just you just (laughs) uh i it's funny you say that so because that's kind of my training always look at you know what's your part in it what you're doing it um at my zen center i was talking with this other guy and we mentioned a third dude i'm like oh he's just an asshole uh-huh. and my friend looked at me and he's like how can you say that i'm like you know what i reserve the right to have a few people in my life where i don't <laughs> sanal- i don't psychoanalyze myself to figure out what my place is sometimes i just want to look at someone and go you're an asshole i feel judgmental and I don't like you because I think that. And to just leave it there. Like, yeah, I do that. And I think there's some, I think that's healthy, actually. You can't always be like, oh, what's my place in it? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to be like, no, I don't like them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how does that make you feel, though? Because I don't feel good. Like, like this. Uh, do you ever get on the highway and you're trying to cut over and somebody speeds up just for no reason? There's no one even really behind them. Right. Just so that you can't be in front of them. And that makes me really angry. And so when I give into that anger, because uh-huh. I gave somebody the finger and I'm like, what am I doing giving this person the finger? They're just trying to live their life. I, I don't like how I felt. I guess I look at it as the difference between my reaction and my response. You can't help your reaction. So a lot of what I do is answer people's emails mm-hmm. um, as part of my job. And some people are really rude. They don't understand the email etiquette yeah, because nobody sat them down and taught them. And sometimes I get these emails that are so rude that I just, I'll just say jerk because this is a, but like there's other yeah. words I want to say. And sometimes I can't control it. Sometimes I'll just like swear at the computer screen, right? That's my reaction. But I don't write that to them in the email, right? Yeah. And there's been a few times where I've actually had to get up, leave my desk, 
walk around the block, go get myself a nice iced coffee. You know what I'm saying? Like take a couple minutes, get myself together. And then I go back and I write a response. And then sometimes when I actually run into the person in the world, I realize that that was all my projection anyway. Like they didn't mean it that way. And they're actually like, thank you so much. You're so helpful. I really appreciate you. Isn't that interesting? And, and so I can't help my reaction. If someone cuts me off and I think, asshole that's how i react yeah it's it's my or pardon me i can't help my response my reaction though in terms of how i choose i think that is so like with anger if we're angry we're angry but if you're angry more than a couple of minutes the only reason you're still angry is you're perpetuating the story about it correct i i don't know it's just so weird i just i i don't know why i'm giving into that dark side and i hate it that is my challenge of where i'm at and i think it's healthy for me to have this conversation with myself like uh-huh. isn't that crazy to have a but i'm yeah. like where i'm like why am i doing that why am i turning into that person because that's not who i am or it's not who i think i am it's not who you want to be yeah i Although, mean it is who you are or you wouldn't do it you know, that's the scary thing that i don't want to face you know what i mean and do you ever do this dan do you ever see someone and you meet them for the first time never met them in your life right, right. you meet them and you instantly don't like them yeah and it's because after you get to know that it's because all the things that you don't like about yourself are showing right there and absolutely them. yeah so of course i wouldn't like them <laughs> so it's, it's so as a buddhist I really learned that hard in the mid nineties, you know, projection is what that is. Yes, right. Yeah. Which we're really learning from the president. The whole country is learning projection. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's good in everything. Uh, yeah, I'll let you, I'm not gonna, I would agree that not that there's good in everything. I'm not gonna say I agree that there's good in Donald Trump, but I would agree that we are struggling as a nation to face, um, the one thing I'll say about him is what's different is other politicians would still be racist and sexist, mm-hmm. but then publicly they would be like, oh, no, 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 no. Right. Like they'd be like, oh, no, we need to treat Muslims right. with respect. But then they would pass laws and right. throw people into prisons without without right. Um, right. Uh, trials, right? Right. So uh, at least it's out. Trump doesn't even like he's like, oh, no, I hate them. Yeah. I don't know why I did a Southern accent there. <laughs> that's terrible. No, it is. Because no, Southern people are really nice. <laughs> they're amazing. And now I feel like... No, like, they understand. Oh, my Midwestern side. No, they don't understand. <laughs> they, they tolerate. They tolerate <laughs> the bias of the Northern people like us. Anyway. Um, but yeah, he's got, he would have more of a New York accent. Anyway. Um, but yeah, in that sense, I appreciate the fact that people are finally waking up to some degree and being like, whoa, no, this is awful. And he's not even trying to hide, hide it. it. Yeah. Which is um, forcing us to really have these hard conversations yeah. to to think about. I mean, I know the bandwidth of, of I don't want to say anything political or be decisive. That's not what the purpose of this podcast is. Right, right. right. But what I'm saying is, is that, that it is forcing those issues. And we may not have the bandwidth or the intelligence to fix these issues. You know what I mean? Because they've been with us so long. I, nobody's willing to really have hard conversations. Well, I think he's so in our face that to some degree, um, if there is a positive, one of them might be that, and I, I guess I will now speak for all white people. <laughs> um, one of the positives for some white people is they're now having to face their own impl- implicit biases right. in a way that they never were before. Right. And um, that can't be bad 
because if more I white agree. people, I mean, I always say that like, um, sexism is actually a man's problem that women have to deal with. Right. Like women are the ones that can't walk at night because asshole men are are right. saying stuff, right? If there weren't asshole men doing that, that wouldn't be a problem for women. So it's actually our problem as men, right? right? And it's something we have to fix. Women can fight and do what they want politically and all that, but ultimately it's men that have to fix that problem, right? No, correct. And for white people, it's the same thing. We, racism is our problem as white people that people of color um, have a lot of pain because of, right? Mm-hmm. But people of color can't really fix it. White people are the ones that have to fix bias in a way. And they can only fix it if they start owning the fact that they're racist, right? Yeah. Or how do I put it? Racism, white people have to stop thinking of racism as a noun and start thinking of racism as a verb. Actually, to go back to, so racism is something that northern white people kind of created as a verb or as a, as a noun or as a word in the sixties. Cause they'd see pictures of Southern white people mm-hmm. and be like, Oh my gosh, they're racist. Right. And so that's kind of the stereotype that Northern white people do to Southern white people right. when really all white people in general have racism. It's built in our DNA. I mean, all people in general actually do. I think all people, all people that. do it's something you're nor- you need to confront. The only thing is, it just seems that to me, and I don't mean to controversial, but it just seems to me white people seem to have more power. And Correct. so with their racism has more implications. Correct. Well, it's kind of like if, if you're a dealer that works for the casino, you're going to make more. And white people are kind of like the dealers who work for the casino and everyone else is in the casino. Yeah, the right? house always wins. The house always wins. But I will tell you this. What's interesting is the North and the South, there's racism and it's strong all the way through. Exactly. It's just, in the South, it was more, it was like how. More overt. More, more, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're in the, in the East and North, it was just, you know, behind the scenes and so, still there. Right. So, so to me, it's like, um, Racism is a verb. It's not that people are racist. It's that people are being racist. Does that make sense? And so if people were to start owning that, like for most white people, they're terrified if someone calls them a racist. But that doesn't generally work. What it means is in certain moments, just as men, we don't walk around always being misogynistic and sexist. Mm-hmm. But there are times when we do things that are sexist just because we were brought up in ways yeah. that we don't necessarily have the perspective that a woman would have, right? No, I agree. And, and I, I find my, I check myself all the time as a man. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I will be in a meeting and I'll over talk. Oh, and, and if a female talks, I'll want to over talk them and I have to stop. And, and I just, I, I mean, it's not. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Checking your, that's a perfect, uh, it's white people need, we need to start checking ourselves more. And I just need to stop and be in that space of like, we all have things to say you know what i mean because what i hate and i see this a lot i see really smart women in meetings Uh not be able to put their views out there because they're shot down right away or or they don't feel like they can bring them up and that breaks my heart yeah i actually have jokingly said to certain women friend made today you have the confidence of a mediocre white man (laughs) that's hilarious actually yeah 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 Um, there, there is a day i feel really hopeful that there's going to be a day that this is all fixed because I've seen it. I've seen it. I was in the military and in the army. Uh-huh. Uh, racism and sexism is not tolerated. It's zero tolerance. So it, it can happen. 
It can happen. I, it's still yeah, there, but yeah. it's it it's it's checked. And that's and that's you know. So I've seen it. I've right. lived in a world where it can work. You know what I mean? Where people can work together and and be indifferent of your upbringing or or your color. Or, you know what I mean? So I guess back to your original question to me, uh, you kind of gave me the answer. I try to keep myself in check. Mm. I allow myself to be me, but I don't deny it. I don't deny that sometimes I'll do things that might be perceived as racist or sexist because it's just, I mean, I'm not trying to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's ignorance, right? It's, I don't know or, uh, or homophobic or whatever. And, and, and again, like people think that like only straight people can be homophobic. Anyone can be homophobic, sure. right? Even gay people. Right. Um, in the sense that we all have the same programming, right? right? And, and there's the, un, the, un, the, um, those unspoken cues. Right. And, uh, it's keeping, it's tr- attempting to keep myself in check and keep aware and listen of what's going on. Yeah. I know as a gay man, whenever I see someone that is, how do I say it? I've, I come from a generation where, and because I'm from the Midwest and the way I was raised, very Catholic, very, right. you go out into the world and you just don't bother people and you don't put on shows, right? Correct. And so when I go out and I see, and I remember too, and I remember this, I remember being really young and I went to a mall and I was in, uh, I was in the army and I went to New York and I saw a, an openly gay person for the first time in my life. Cause I only people I knew at that time uh-huh. were closeted gays right? or, or from Michigan or, you know what I mean? <laughs> and when you go to New York, it's a whole different gay. And at first I was a little bit judgy of them. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, that's not how you do it. What right. do you, what do you? And that's me being judgmental against my... And so what really happens is we're conditioned to feel a certain way correct. that's not correct. You know? Yeah, we're conditioned to feel self-hatred in a way. It, yeah, right? to keep us yeah. you know, in line, which, you know, at the end of the day, now when I see... My favorite thing is when I go to Prides uh-huh. uh, and you, do, you, know, you perform at Pride, I see these young people who don't care. And they are so out there. They are so... They're going to wear what they want. And I just think that is... Imagine a world where you didn't have to think about worry about being judged. You just could be yourself right. and all the contributions and all the things that you could give to this world because you yeah. have that extra energy. Isn't that? Yeah, I agree. And, and I've, I've, I would like to think that every generation, it changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I guess the example, and again, I guess this would be a white example is I kind of remember as a kid, I think my grandparents or at least my grandmother at some point kind of remembered yeah i'm kind of racist in a way yeah but i don't want my kids to be racist so i told them not to be racist even though i'm kind of racist and then my dad's generation was like well i'm less racist i'm more aware of it yeah and so i'm gonna raise my kids that way you know what i'm saying and i think every generation there's a little bit more to the point where um like Remember when gay marriage was actually controversial? Yeah. When people talked about it? Yeah. So one day I was an English teacher for a long time and uh, in in Phoenix. And uh, so I mostly uh, worked with Latinos, Latinas. It's hard for me to say Latinx. That seems like a white person that came up with that. Like, does that make sense? Like, Latino, Latina, I try to say both. But as soon as I go Latinx, it like... it. It's like the word Hispanic. To I think me. it's I don't... Latinx. Is it Latinx? Am I? 
I don't, you know, I struggle with this and I'm laughing because the guy that's helping us with sound, Ernesto Ortiz, uh-huh. uh, coaches me all. Here's, here's my blessing. Here's uh-huh. my blessing. I am still at the point where like Latinx or the correct pronouns and all that. Uh-huh. My friend Ernesto actually coaches me. Because I'll say something, and he's like, do you know that that's racist? And I'm like... <laughs> well, but, I mean, language is part of it. Yeah, so, yeah, but, yeah. But my story was, one day I sat down, because it was it came up in class or something, and I sat down with um, the biggest, toughest gang kid mm-hmm. I knew in my class. And I was, I'm just, just curious. You know, I'd reached... We had a relationship. I did a lot of conferencing, so I talked to kids one-on-one a lot. I'm like, what do you think about gay marriage? And he was like, that just seems like, who cares, Mr. Hall? Like, he oh, wow. was like, he's like, who cares? He's like, who you love is who you love. And this was this big, tough, tattooed gang kid. And I thought in that moment, you know what? If a 16-year-old hard gangster yeah. is like, it's who you love. I'm like, this world is going to get better. Yeah, it changes This world come. is going to get better. And and then, and it, and it did. It, and, it, and, and, and I mean, it's such a little thing on some levels. Yeah. And people could unpack it and say that, you know, I mean... There are those I've heard that said that like gay marriage was basically uh, bourgeois white gay people that really pushed that agenda mm-hmm. and that people of color who are, well, to but, me- but, but I still think it was a step in the right direction Yeah, and it was a step of just saying people are people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and I have friends, like I have a couple of friends in, in New York who live in the East Village and they're like, we're not getting married. Like we had to leave. One was from Texas. He goes, I had to leave a really oppressed childhood. I moved to New York to be who I am. Um, and I'm not going to get married. That feels like going back to Texas. Yeah, I know. Even like, though they've been together forever. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and they're like, no. We, we. That was one of the benefits of being gay is that you didn't have to have get married or have kids. Right, you could do yeah, what you want. And, right. and so now I love that it's an option. There, I know a lot yeah. of people that are married. I'm not. But I, I love people that have that option. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's not something that I never had a need to, to get married or to have kids. But right. I've been with the same person for a very long time. Right. And, <laughs> and you feel like it's an option if you want it it but you yeah. also feel like what's well, nobody talks about this with straight people i mean straight people would live together right yeah so clearly they didn't choose to get married and then other straight people would get married yeah. so i always say when goldie hall gets married i'll get married that's my <laughs> that's my clicker i don't i don't know i mean she's not married she's with kurt russell for like 40 or 50 years are they still together they're, they're not married that's awesome so i always say to my boyfriend because he'll hint on it you know do you want to get married right. and then i kind of move away from it and i'm like you know when goldie hawn i used to say when it's legal we could get married and then it became <laughs> legal and i'm like oh my god that is not the change i voted for that's funny so that's it's there funny. but l- let me go to this um the way that I met you, the way I was introduced to you, and uh-huh. how people in the in the great state of Arizona know you is your storytelling. The storytelling that you helped me with my first time that I went in front of a crowd to tell a story. Right. I came in and you generously let me pitch you three ideas. Oh yeah, I remember. Maybe one of them was okay, and you're like, "This is you know," and you're like, "This is the one," and then you helped structure that for free. And then, and then I went and I did a show and then, you know, I participated and these shows that you do and what you, I just want to tell you just as someone that goes in there as an audience member, what it means to me. And I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but whenever I go in there, I'm always like, I'll go into the, into that storytelling show with the energy right. of, you know, the world is so rushed. It's so mean and everything is falling apart. 
but that's not how I feel when I leave. I feel connected to human beings because I'm yeah. listening to these stories where people are vulnerable and some are funny, some are sad. But at the end of the day, when I leave, I feel such joy that the human race is okay. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, the magic of storytelling that I stumbled into is it's when you're actually telling us, okay, let me, there are three major ways we communicate, I believe. One is like just facts, like information, like the bathroom is to the left. Mm -hmm. If someone asks for the bathroom, you say the bathroom is to the left. If it's actually to the right, there's no debate. I'm just wrong, mm -hmm. right? And then it's opinion. And we give a lot of opinions. A lot of what we do is we tell our opinions of stuff. Mm -hmm. And generally, that's just based in nothing other than how we feel, right? And then there's narrative. And narrative is kind of how our minds work. And narrative is actually how human beings develop meaning. So you have your story. I have my story. Part of your story is that you're from the Midwest and that has created certain aspects of you, right? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to connect the fact that I'm from the Midwest and do our stories converge in this. Correct. And they kind of do, right? right? But it is all a story. I mean, it's yeah. a story, meaning we wrote it. We could write completely different things, and it could have different meanings. So, But the nice thing about narrative is when you're telling a narrative, when you just tell me your story, you're not selling me anything. You're not selling me your opinion. You're not giving me information necessarily. You're just sharing your story. And when you're just sharing your story, it allows me to just listen. And when I'm just listening, I... It, creates this emotional response and you're not selling your meaning but you're sharing your meaning of the world mm. does that make sense it totally makes so sense. storytelling is about really we just openly share our worldviews through our experiences and when you let when someone does that and they're not trying to sell you anything so to speak it's beautiful it's a beautiful experience. It really is. Isn't it? It, it really, it, and you can feel it. And you can connect. And then you, so what happens is, you know, there's the universal elements of a story. So someone can be on that stage that, that is radically different than you in multiple ways. But their stories, you know, as human beings, in the end, we all want to be loved, yeah. right? To some degree. Um, to some degree. And so they're, they're universal things. Like I did a story called Grandparents right after... Um, uh, Trump was elected and I did the one called grandparents because intuitively I understood that it didn't matter where you f were from on this planet you were most people have ever had the experience of being a grandkid and then older people have the experience of being a grandparent and it didn't matter what your what your gender what your race all those things we've all kind of experienced sure. that kind of love sure that like that skips a generation type, mm -hmm. type love and that show was very powerful for me because i tried to find something that i just felt like it felt so divisive right that those first six months or so that i wanted a show where people just expressed something that we all felt and it was it was really beautiful yeah so that's yeah as soon as someone starts explaining it and that's what i call exposition if it's kind of like if i tell you a story and you feel something and then I start explaining what the story should mean. You tune out. It's like if I tell you a joke and you laugh, and then I spend two minutes sure. explaining to you why it's funny, that's not cool. I just got that. That's crystal clear to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's storytelling, too. Too often we become afraid, so then we add a lot of exposition. So people start their story by explaining it before they tell their story. And then they tell their story, and in the middle they stop to explain things. And then... At the end, after they finish the story, they explain. And what I try to do as an editor is I try to pull the explanations all out mm -hmm. and like, let's just tell your story. How they feel about it is how they feel but about that it. That is, to me, terrifying. 
Because you're just totally exposed. Because you're not. Yeah. You're allowing them. Right. You're you're allowing them to just accept you without. Right. Or not accept you. But I, that's the scary yeah, part. And I get what you're saying because like some of my best jokes uh-huh. are from the most painful experiences in my life. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I have to go back to that moment and revisit that. But right. then I find a way to make it funny. I find a way to yes. like, turn it. And so that's what story is, is just taking it and just telling it as it is and being vulnerable. It's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I'll say is that what I've learned after doing this for 10 years is if you do like an open mic, if someone's never stood on a ta- stage and told a story, it's it's kind of like new comics, like new male comics always talk about the same sure. like low hanging fruit, right? Right. Well, new storytellers, they either tell what they think is the most important thing that's ever happened to them or the saddest thing that's ever happened uh. to them. And generally those two are combined. So like when I used to do open mics, I got a lot of really sad stories and generally they're not resolved in it. So it's what I call dumping on the audience. You get a lot of people that stands up there and tell oh. these incredibly sad stories that they've not emotionally resolved in, and they're yeah. using it like therapy. And for me, you can do a story about cancer. You can do a story about your dad dying of cancer and how you miss him. But you, as a storyteller, have to have some resolve in it because mm-hmm. it is an art. It's like people don't get comedies an art. Right. And so is storytelling. But it's one of those things where everyone thinks it's everyone thinks anyone can be funny and everyone thinks anyone can tell a story and anyone can tell a story. But getting on a stage and doing it artistically means you as a storyteller have gone through it. And I call it you have to become an emotional Sherpa. You have to, right. if you're going to talk about, if you're going to, just like if you're going to tell a joke about cancer, it better be a damn good joke, right? Yeah. If you're going to tell a joke about, if you're going to tell a story about cancer, you have to have come to some resolve in it so that you're bringing to the audience something where you're a guide through this emotional sure, path. I agree. And that's the art in it. And that's, that's what, the art in it, yeah. and there's two things that you just said. One, when you first start out doing anything, right? You have to be foolish and you have to be a fool almost, yeah, almost yeah. because you're even I remember when I was in comedy for maybe like my f- second or third year, I felt so fake and imposter. People are going to know and that that's where my anxiety for a show would be, because this is the show where they find out I'm a fake. This is the <laughs> show where they all know I've just been getting it through. You know what right. I mean? And it's because when you're first starting out, you're making foolish mistakes and you make yourself look like a fool because you're not right together nobody likes to do that it's very vulnerable so right. i mean it's and so that's the first thing and so it's it's hard you know even telling a story just to be that exposed um but the other thing i really resonate or connect with what you're saying is that whenever i tell a joke there's a thing i always say before i get in front of other human beings and say something right is does this transcend You know what I mean? Because people always say to me, uh, you know, uh, my coming out story. They're like, you need to talk about your coming out story. And I'm like, I'm not cured. I'm not whole yet. I haven't transcended. So if I haven't transcended, I can't tell you anything because it's not art. It's just, yes, it's not art. Art is, I think to me, is just taking that story and saying, this is what happened to me. This is a funny thing on it. Can you believe this happened? Totally. Yeah. So, my mom died last fall. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. It's it's life. Yeah. But thank you. Um, and there was people like, when are you going to tell a story? When are you going to tell a story? I'm like, uh, 
I'm not, I'm going through the grieving process, man. Like at some point I might get on a stage and tell a story that has to do with the death of my mother. Yeah. But hell no right now. I you know. know what I'm like? Because it wouldn't be art. It would be me dumping on the audience. I agree. Right. Yeah. And so, and I actually have attempted a couple stories and I've dialed it back. I'm like, no, it's still, I, it's just too sad yeah. right now. If it doesn't transcend, you can't. And it's not like like I'm comfortable telling a sad story. Right. But it's like, because I haven't resolved it in myself. Correct. Which yeah. I'm also not saying, I mean, storytelling is like anything else. Like if you're in a circle and it's therapeutic and 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 you're using storytelling as like therapy, therapy absolutely tell the unresolved stories. Yeah. Because that's the context. For me, it's just when you get on a stage... And the shows I go to, that's not controlled because they're slams now. So people do sometimes just go up and tell sad stories yeah. that aren't resolved. But I'm okay with it because it's we've only got like six to eight minutes, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in six to eight minutes, it's okay. It's when someone's up there for 25, 30 minutes, just like digging in the dirt of some sadness yeah. in their life. And, and you're, you're like, like, I don't know what to do with this right, information. Yeah, yeah. After a while, you're like, okay. Like, yeah. you can stop now. You really but I love these storytelling yeah, classes. Yeah. And um, you recommend these for anyone? Anyone can do them? Or are there classes that they can come? How would they, so my, how would they find you? One of my co-hosts. Um, is it I, Rachel? Actually, uh, Joy Young okay. uh, is my co-host for The Slam. Um, Rachel and I used to co-host. I call her more co-creator. Mm-hmm. We support each other's projects. She used to be my neighbor. I adore her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Awesome. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, Joy Young did a... Uh, she does a lot of um, teaching in terms of poetry and storytelling. She's amazing. Uh, pardon me. They're amazing. <laughs> there we go. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keeping myself in check. They're amazing. Uh, I hired them actually with the school district to to as a consultant to do um some storytelling workshops oh, wow. uh with some programs in my school district and, that's a great idea for youth and then yeah. yeah they do a ton with youth especially in terms of queer culture mm-hmm. and identity and uh, but that's not all they do joy yeah. does i mean all sorts of stuff yeah. with storytelling i mean anyone could take Joy's storytelling class and she does it through changing hands she did they did one what the hell we've been working together for years and all of a sudden i'm on a recording <laughs> and and i'm slipping um i get on the stage with them every month and i don't think and those shows like are that. amazing but i haven't slipped like that <laughs> i don't slip on a stage i guess because we're sitting on a couch yeah, i don't know yeah. anyway and there's no audience super self-conscious yeah. okay uh you know but yeah, but that's me trying to keep myself in check, keep the humor. Yeah. I acknowledge the fact that I did that, but I'm still working sure. to be better at it. Yeah. That's the best I can do. And that keeps me being a nice guy. Well, I think you're amazing. Well, Let me, thank you. But you do these shows every month at the Changing Bookhand stores? Changing Hands Bookstore, yep. Uh, so it's a slam. Anyone can sign up. It's the changing. It's When's the, the next one? The next one is December 27th. Okay. Are they always like the third week of the month or? Uh, they're generally towards the end of the month. Okay. So the third or fourth Friday. Okay. So the 20th. We do the 27th every year. Um, Next year we won't. This is way too early to talk about because New Year's and Christmas both fall on um mm. like around Friday. Okay. But we tend to do the show the Friday between Christmas and New Year because... People don't have anything to do. Sure, I've uh, never been there where it's not sold out. It's, oh, it's you're generally such pretty a blessing. Packed. 
yeah it's it's a it's a great show um and as i said uh Joy does classes. They tend to be on the Changing Hands website. Uh, we also put them on our website, thestoryline.org. If anything like that comes up, we have it on Facebook. We're the Storyline. Um, and yeah, it it's a kind of cool community. I, I think so. I've I've never felt anything but just like I just feel amazing it's like my soul got like uh, Ernesto does storytelling too and it's the same thing it's like your soul gets recharged well, it is now I'm only going to say this because probably there's going to be comics mm -hmm. that listen to this because you are a very respected comedian comedian in Phoenix well, thank you and they're going to want to learn from you I find that the hardest thing comics have is comedy generally is a lot of complaining but with but with humor. Right. And it's mostly telling about how you feel about things and how you think about things. Whereas I just said that to me, good storytelling is the opposite. You pull all the exposition out and you just share your story through how you feel about it. Yeah. And that sounds like it's touchy-feely. It doesn't have to be touchy-feely. Um, whereas, um, so for comics, a lot of times, it's difficult to make that shift. They want to throw in a lot more exposition. Sure. And because... I'll tell you why, because you helped me with this when I was telling my story, because I kept going for the punchline. Right. Because every time I got nervous, I go for the punchline. Right. Because whenever I have conflict with the world, I have to go to comedy. Correct. That's the only way I can survive is just, you know, what's funny about this? Okay, I got it. It's funny. I can move on. And I was going for the punchline, and you're like, no, trust that you're a funny person and that the funny will come out. And it did. Yes. It did. I trust. I had to surrender that. Right. I had to surrender that. And you, I mean, you can always put just like you punch up a bit, right? Over time, you punch up a bit. You can punch up a story mm -hmm. with with certain things that you know are going to hit. And I'll do that. There's a certain asides where I'll just say it. And it, of course, just like you're telling a joke, you act as if you're just saying an aside. Sure. Um, but you know, but it's a joke. It's yeah. written as a joke. It's yeah. set up as a joke. You just act as if like you've just also sure. observed something in the yeah. middle of your story. Um, I but. Like you said, have the story first. Have the meat of the story first and don't try to make it funny. Yeah. And as a, as you just said, the funny will come out and then you punch it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's terrifying to trust that, to surrender to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it's a whole different set of muscles. Yeah, it's, yeah, and the instinct is to go for that punchline. But as soon as you just start going for punchlines, you're not telling a story anymore. Yeah. 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 What's so funny is this show, you have an appointment that you need to get to, so we have to wrap up. But this went by so fast, Dan. This went yeah. by really fast. You know what I mean? I really appreciate you um, coming down here today on a Saturday. Well, thanks. And I will say this. I didn't really, I didn't do my research, and I didn't realize this was about a nice guy podcast. Yeah. And part of staying a nice guy is other nice guys acknowledging that you're a nice guy <laughs> and being able to tip of the hat and say thanks nice guy well, it's an honor <laughs> thank you nice guy thank you for being here and thank you for all that you do i mean i know that you may not realize what you're doing but you are really impacting people and i'm not saying that just to say i see those people in that room and, and if you make me leave hopeful you know what i mean and you're doing that to 200 people that's that's a lot that's a blessing that's like yeah that is a ministry that is a ministry. It well, you know, I did start out as an ordained Buddhist monk. It's just this <laughs> is this is more accessible. Yeah. And relatable and it's and accessible, it's relatable. Yeah. I always end this show with 
as anyone that is listening to this show, if you are, thank you. Um, but I, I want them to go away with something. And like if they're at work and maybe they're stressed out or maybe there's something going on with their family, if you could just say one thing to someone that is in pain, you don't know them, but if they're in pain or, or just something, just what would you say? What would you say to someone that is going through it? And they'll get through it. They're going to make it. But what would you say to them just to on their journey so they know that they're okay that's a pretty heavy thing to say as a bumper sticker <laughs> well, so, well how do you when you're in that energy what do you do so if I'm with someone who's in pain I yeah. simply well, no if you if you're in that moment and you're in pain what do you do because if you're doing that you could recommend that to someone else is it just meditation is it just being quiet be still and Nope, none of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that I try to acknowledge my pain, mm-hmm. um, but I also attempt to not make it. I forgive myself. There you go. Mm-hmm. I work to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. I allow myself to be who I am, and I forgive myself. And compassion for yourself is one of the most beautiful things that you can give yourself. It really is. Um, if you're in pain, because a lot of times, like if someone's depressed, people are like, don't be depressed. And so you're more depressed because you're depressed and people are telling you not to be depressed. Yeah. And I've been depressed. And part of what I attempt to do is forgive myself. Yeah. And I'm like, you're just depressed. That's okay. You're depressed now. Be depressed. Yeah. I still try to get through my life. I still try to get up. Uh, but sometimes I'll get myself a Saturday where I don't get up. I pretty much just, I set a day where I don't have to go anywhere or do anything. And I just allow myself to be depressed in my house. I do that too. And, and, and just walk around in my, like to get up and go to bed in the same outfit. You know what I'm saying? Like all day. And I'm fine with that. And, and I guess that's it. Forgive yourself, have compassion for yourself. Um, yeah. And just, and just know that that you're going to make it. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being here on this show. And thanks again for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate me five stars. Very important in iTunes. And if you could leave a comment, whether it's good or bad, I would love to read it. Uh, Make sure you subscribe wherever you download. And please join us again. And remember, stay kind, be nice, because you're going to make it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please stop by Shaneland Arts for all your art supply needs. And check out their website to obtain more information on creativity coaching for artists with Shane McCall. He's not here to be the hero of your story. In fact, he'll help you realize you are. Visit their website at shanelandarts.com today. Sound and Engineering, Ernesto Ortiz, announcer, the diva, and your host, Gene Moore. Please join us next week for a new episode of The Good Guy Revolution.